If you will, turn in your Bibles to the first chapter, the Gospel of Matthew, as we continue our study through the Word. So this incredible gospel that we have in front of us, the gospel of Matthew. I want you to know that of the four gospels, this was the first gospel that was written. This was the first time that the life and the ministry and the work of Jesus Christ was, was penned. And so Matthew writes this about eight years after Jesus's ascension. So within the first decades, it's important to understand that that was still while the temple existed. You'll remember that Jesus died in about AD 32, 33. So this brings us to about 40, 41. It was in AD 70 that the temple is destroyed. So for three decades, that temple is going to remain before the Romans ultimately come in and destroy it. Now, uh, Matthew's uh, desire, uh, he writes this as a Jew. Matthew was a Jew. You'll remember, in fact, that Matthew uh, was a tax collector. Now, a tax collector. I'm not sure that the IRS has ever been a fan. Uh, of, people have been a fan of, uh, of the IRS. Being a tax collector isn't uh, a pleasant job. But in this day and age, uh, they were helping the Romans. They're an occupied nation. And so the Romans would have civil jobs. This was one of the civil jobs. And so you were being employed by the Roman government uh, to collect the taxes for the people now the the for the government the the people they felt that that was a, a um, just a uh, an absolute traitor to the nation. You were absolutely hated and despised uh, by your fellow countrymen that you would go to work that you would make a living working for the Romans who were occupying was just uh, untenable. Now, uh, on the flip side, uh, there was a moment in Matthew's life where this opportunity came to him that you can come and, and you can become the tax collector there in Capernaum, in Galilee, that was a, a major thoroughfare that was you were going to make a lot of uh, money. And there was a, a moment that that decision that, that Matthew looked at his career opportunities in front of him and, and he decided that, that he would do it. He would become the, the tax collector. And Matthew became rich. He became wealthy. But the problem is, is that when you're hated, and rejected and despised. What, what is the worth uh, of your reputation? What is the worth of your name? What is the worth of, uh, of your neighbors and, and all? Matthew, is a, being a tax collector there, you would, you would go out to the mailbox to get your mail and, and all your neighbors would scatter. They, they wouldn't talk to you. You weren't welcomed into any social circles, any parties and, and all. And so the, the tax Tax collectors, they, they became a group uh, unto them themselves, and, and they enjoyed the, the best of food and, the, and luxury, but, uh, but they were considered to be the, the pariah. Matthew, how many times had he regretted that decision 
to become that and tax collector. And, and now he is just an outsider in society, watching life go by and, and sitting from the perimeter. Matthew was sitting in his tax booth when Jesus walked by. And Jesus turns to Matthew and says, you, come, follow me. An outcast, an outsider, uh, uh, one whose reputation was shot and hated by everybody. And Jesus invites him to come and, and to follow after him. And, and it says that Matthew immediately departed. He just, <laughs> he ran out of that tax booth. And, and now he followed after Jesus. The grace of God. I think that Matthew, amongst uh, all of them, really experienced that, 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 that incredible forgiveness, that giving your life back to you when you have thrown it away, when, when it is broken, when you believe that it is unrepairable. We see the grace of God steps in. And, and the very skill that got Matthew that job, the very skill that maybe he would have felt was disqualified and was the ability to write, is the very skill that God sanctified in his calling. And what you have right now is the writing of Matthew before us. So Matthew's purpose and intent of writing this was to show the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, you remember that the, the Messiah, the promised Savior of the, uh, of the world, the, the nation was looking for, desiring, wanting the, the Messiah to be able to come and to lead the nation out from underneath the Roman oppression. And, and throughout the scriptures, there is the promise of the Deliverer, the Savior, the Messiah, that, uh, that he is going to come. And, and so Jesus, uh, we see... In his life and ministry, Matthew's desire is to show the Jews that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. Now, each of the gospel writers, they kind of write from a different point of view. That was Matthew's point of view. We see that Mark, the gospel of Mark, we see that Jesus is really portrayed as the servant. We see the, the servant in Christ through Mark's gospel. And in Luke's gospel, we see that he is the son of man. We see the humanity of in Christ in Luke. In John's gospel, John wrote his last. Now, the interesting thing about John's gospel is that he expects that you already are familiar with the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke. And these all kind of form the outline of Christ's life and ministry. Now, when John writes his gospel, he supplements, he gives supplemental information what isn't contained in the synoptics. He, what he does is he, he takes you in and gives you details of these vignettes of these moments uh, in Christ's uh, ministry and and we see that that he portrays uh, Jesus as the uh, the son of God now uh, interesting that Matthew is going to begin his gospel with the genealogy and and the reason that that's important 
uh, is because there was the prophecy given that, uh, that the Messiah was going to be the son of David. And so the lineage of David. Now the lineage of David is through the tribe of Judah, but now through the house of David. So if anybody is going to make a messianic claim, then the first thing that the Jews are going to want to know is, show me your credentials. Show me that you come from the, the house of David, that you're the son of David. And so... Um, Interesting that Matthew, before the question is even asked, he just starts right with the genealogy. Now, it's interesting that Mark doesn't contain a genealogy, and we see in Mark's gospel because his focus is on the servanthood of Jesus Christ, and a servant's lineage isn't important. Now, Luke, Luke has a genealogy in his. He doesn't begin with it. It's found later in the third chapter. But we see the genealogy there and traces in Christ through Mary. So we have two genealogies in the scriptures. Now, the genealogy of Matthew is going to trace it through Joseph. And though Joseph is the, is the stepfather of Jesus, that is the, the legal line of Christ is through the father, but the bloodline comes through the mother. Now, interesting, in John's gospel, we don't have a genealogy genealogy, but uh, we see that he begins all the way back in eternity past. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so uh, we see John's uh, approach there. So one of the things that we're going to notice uh, as, as Matthew's purpose in writing this is to demonstrate from the scriptures uh, the fulfillment of Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Now, from all the way at the beginning of Genesis, we see that when Adam and Eve fell, there was the promise that was given right in the garden that God had a remedy for mankind's sin and that he would send a savior, the redeemer. And so we see that throughout the, the prophets and throughout the scriptures, there are all of the details that are going to be identifying marks of who this Messiah is going to be. And so what we're going to see Matthew do is he's going to go and keep on pulling out these prophecies. He has more prophecies in their fulfillment from the scriptures than any of the other gospel writers as he is using the Old Testament to build the portrait of Christ and to show beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. So we begin right here in the first chapter in the first verse, and it, and it says, now the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so here we begin the genealogy. Now, genealogies were important to, to the nation of Israel. You'll remember that when they came into the land, there were the 12 tribes. And the 12 tribes now, they received their allotment of the land. The 11 tribes, and then there was the Levites. Now, the Levites, they never 
never got a territory because they were the priests. And so rather than collecting all the priests into one part of the nation and then having the rest of the nation without the priests, they gave cities to the priests in all of the different lands. So they had the borders, it was by lot, and now the nation had their land. The genealogy, the houses, uh, the, and, and all had then their inheritance. So that your land always stayed within your tribe. It stayed within your territory. So the genealogies were kept for the inheritance now of the tribe. And also the Levites, if you were a priest, you also had to prove that you came through the, uh, the lineage of, of Levi in order to serve as a, as a Levite uh, as well. Now, these were these genealogies. They were kept uh, by the Sanhedrin. They were stored uh, in the temple. And so the proving your genealogy, proving your lineage, your heritage, and your right to the land. So the genealogy we see here of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus, the word comes from Jeshua, uh, and that means uh, God saves. Uh, and so we see that even the name Jesus, which was the name that Gabriel had, Gabriel had instructed did Joseph to, to name him? And so this was the name that God chose uh, for uh, Jesus. We see that this now uh, means God saves. And, and so Jesus and Christ, I, I want you to know that Christ isn't his last name. It's not Jesus Christ, but Christ is a title. Uh, and so important to know that Christ is the Greek word Christos. And Christos means anointed, christened, and so the anointed. So this is Jesus the anointed. Now, Messiah is the same Hebrew word, Mashiach, means anointed. So Messiah and Christ are the exact same word in two different languages. And so how does he begin the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, of Jesus the anointed one, of Jesus the, the Christ? So in his opening few words, he is already declaring now the purpose uh, of his gospel uh, here. He begins now by saying, son of David. And, and you remember that David, when he had gone and desired to build the temple, and, and he tells Nathan, the prophet, that God, I have it on my heart to build God a beautiful temple. And, and you remember that Nathan says to him, David, do whatever is in your heart. That is uh, awesome. There was just the tabernacle, the tent at that time. And, uh, and so David wants to build in the temple. And, and, and so uh, Nathan departs uh, and God says to Nathan, Nathan, did you ask me about that? David can't build a, a temple. He's a man of war. He has blood on his hands. You have to go back and tell him that, <laughs> that he can't build the temple. But tell him this. Tell him that he can't build me a house, but I'm going to build a house uh, for him. That through his offspring, the Messiah is going to come. And so Nathan goes back in and, and tells David those things. And so suddenly now from the tribe of Judah, now the house of David, the, the lineage now of the Messiah is going to come. So uh, we see here uh, that the son of David the son of uh, Abraham. 
So Abraham was the father of the faith, and, uh, and so we see now that he begins all the way back uh, with the, uh, Abraham. Now, it's interesting that in Luke's gospel, because uh, he is writing to the Gentiles, he is writing to the world, uh, and we see that Matthew starts at Abraham because that's the beginning of the nation of Israel. But Luke is writing to the world, so he goes all the way back in his genealogy and traces it all the way back to uh, Adam, uh, the first uh, man. But uh, here we see in this genealogy uh, that Matthew supplies is begins with the patriarchs, begins with the Abraham, and Abraham begot Isaac, and Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Now remember there were the 12 uh, tribes, the 12 brothers, Jacob had the, the 12 sons. Judah uh, was one of those uh, 12 sons, and so through the tribe of Judah, uh, the Messiah is going to come. It says in verse 3, And Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez begot Hezron. And Hezron begot Ram. And Ram begot Amimadab. And Amimadab begot Nashon. And Nashon begot Salmon. And Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. And Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David the king. And so we... See, this first uh, section here takes us from Abraham all the way through to uh, David, to King David. And, uh, and it's interesting in this uh, genealogy that we see that there are four women that are mentioned in, uh, in his genealogy. We see that uh, Tamar and Rahab and Ruth, and then also we're going to see uh, that um, Bathsheba is, uh, is referenced, is mentioned not by name, but we're going to see her in a moment. And, and what is interesting, once again, is the, the grace. Remember that Matthew was one who had just tossed his life away. And then Christ comes and, and calls him and, and restores him. He becomes an, an apostle, part of Jesus' ministry, and, and writes this gospel. And, and no doubt his entire life, that, that grace of God, grace changes everything. Amen? And he was the recipient of, of such tremendous grace. We, we see the way in which God uses, listen, God uses broken people. I want you to know that, that here in this genealogy, these four women, uh, we see the, the, the incredible stain of sin upon their lives, and yet we see that they're included in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now, Tamar. Tamar is interesting because Judah was through the, the, the tribe of Judah that the Messiah is going to come. Judah had three sons. And what happens is they had the Leverite law. So Tamar is married to the first son of Judah, and he dies. And the Leverite law says that you have to give the next son to her to produce offspring so that that house, that lineage, can, can continue. So 
Tamar is given the, the second uh, son, but uh, he dies uh, also, and, and now there's just one son left, and he's young, and so Judah says, you know, let's let him grow up, and, and let's give him a chance and, uh, and all, but when he becomes of age, Judah doesn't give him to Tamar according to the law, and Tamar now is wanting her offspring, and so Tamar pretends to be a prostitute, and she seduces Judah, uh, the dad who ends up giving her uh, sons, and, and it is through this illicit relationship and offspring that Tamar, the Messiah, comes through Tamar. And, uh, and here we see that if you were going to create a, a genealogy for God, he could have picked just an absolutely clean, outstanding reputation all the way through. But uh, instead, we see that Tamar uh, is here in the lineage uh, of the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Now, she pretended to be a prostitute, but we actually have a prostitute that is here in this lineage, and that is Rahab, the prostitute in Jericho. You'll remember how she now takes the two spies that are in to spy out the land and, and she protects them and, uh, and so her life is, is spared. Well, she ends up marrying Salmon and having children and so we see that this prostitute is in the lineage. Jesus Christ claims this lineage of the prostitute. We, uh, we see that Ruth now uh, also, a, a Moabitess. Uh, now, she is in this lineage uh, as well, even a, a non-Jew. And then ultimately we're going to come uh, to the last one, which is Bathsheba. And you'll remember that David, uh, he looked from his balcony and there was Bathsheba. And, and so he wanted her and so he, he took her. It was full-blown adultery. Uh, and he, he sends her back afterwards, but she sends a message later on saying that she is now with mm, child. Now, Uriah was in David's military, one of his chief military uh, men, uh, faithful warrior, faithful to David. And, uh, and so in order to cover his sin, he, he has Uriah killed. He orders uh, Uriah to be at the front uh, of the army and to push right up to the walls of the, uh, of the city where they were out in, in battle. Now, you never go right up to the walls of the city because that's where they would then throw things down and so the, uh, those men are gonna perish. So he puts Uriah in harm's way, orders the attack and Uriah and dies. And so back Sheba now, Ultimately, that child, God does not allow that child to live after it is born. But David takes Bathsheba to be his wife, and, and they have another son, and that second son is, is Solomon. And, and so we see Bathsheba, uh, she is in the lineage here of, uh, of Jesus Christ. It, it is the humility of Christ that he would allow these these broken lives, these broken people, these sin-stained lives to be a part of the heritage of the Messiah himself. When you look at the humility of Jesus Christ, 
You look at the way that he was born. Most people, if you asked them, give me an example of Christ's humility, would say he was born in a manger. He was born in a barn. And that truly does exemplify the, the humility of Christ, that, that God could have orchestrated it to where Jesus was born in a palace, <laughs> that he had the finest of everything, that angels would sing him to sleep every single night in this pristine environment. I mean, you know, he is God incarnate, but, but yet he identified with us. Broken lives, broken hearts, broken people, wounded sinners. This is who Jesus identifies with. This is who Jesus uses as Matthew himself is writing. As Matthew records the genealogy of Jesus Christ and, and records the, these names in and, and the people. God loves you. It doesn't matter what you have done in the past. Your life is redeemable. God still has a, a purpose and a future and a hope uh, for you. And, and the genealogy that is recorded here in the, the Gospel of Matthew is just one more proof text, just one more illustration of how much God uh, loves us. David the king, verse 6, begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. That's Bathsheba. And Solomon begot Rehoboam, and Rehoboam begot Abijah, and Abijah begot Asa. And Asa begot Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat begot Joram. Now, I just want to stop for one second, just let you know that every single time I read the name Jehoshaphat, I think of jumping Jehoshaphat. And, but here's the thing I want you to know. In the scriptures, he never jumps. So I don't understand, okay, where jumping Jehoshaphat even comes from. But to this day, in my head, every time I read Jehoshaphat, he is jumping. But he begot Joram, and Joram begot Uzziah, good king Uzziah. And Uzziah begot Jotham, and Jotham begot Ahaz, and Ahaz was wicked Ahaz. That's Ahaz. And Ahaz begot Hezekiah, good king Hezekiah. And Hezekiah begot Manasseh, wicked king Manasseh. And Manasseh begot Ammon, and Ammon begot Josiah, and Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time they were carried away into Babylon. Now, Interesting again, Jeconiah. Jeconiah is a wicked king. And Jeconiah, uh, he commits a adultery. And, and we see that God pronounces a curse uh, on Jeconiah. Though Jeconiah is from the house of David, uh, and he is unqualified in the lineage for the Messiah, there was a, a curse that was put upon Jeconiah that no one from the descendants of Jeconiah uh, would ever sit upon the, the throne of David. Now, it's interesting that through Joseph, 
Alpha, we see that that is through Jeconiah who that curse was put on. But uh, once again, remember that this is the legal genealogy of Jesus, not the blood genealogy. Mary also comes from the house of David. Both Mary and Joseph, both are through the house of David. So Mary is the bloodline of Christ through the house of David. We see that Matthew, we see that Joseph is the legal line. And so where Jeconiah had been cut out because of his sin, we see the grace of God once again in place because it is through Jeconiah that Joseph now is the stepfather of Christ. So we see that the the first section of the genealogy was from Abraham, the patriarchs, all the way up to the time of the kings. Then we have the kings to their captivity in Babylon. And then we're going to have from Babylon now up to the time of Christ. So Matthew breaks the genealogy into those three sections. It says, and after they were brought to Babylon, verse 12, Jeconiah begot Shealtiel, and Shealtiel begot Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel begot Abud, and Abud begot Eliakim, and Eliakim begot Azor, and Azor begot Zadok, and Zadok begot Achim, and Achim begot Eliud, and Eliud begot Eleazar, and Eleazar begot Matan and Matan begot Jacob and Jacob begot Joseph the husband of Mary of whom was born Jesus who is called Christ. Now it's interesting that we see the begot 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 all the way now until it comes to Mary. And then we see at this point, Matthew changed and it says, of whom was born Jesus. And so here we see that this is indicating that Jesus was the physical child of Mary, but that Joseph was not his physical father. This here right in the genealogy. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations, and from the captivity in Babylon until Christ are 14 generations. And, and so Matthew's genealogy answers the important question that, that the Jews would want to know from anybody who claimed to be the king. Is he a descendant of David? Through the rightful line of succession, and Matthew's answer is yes, absolutely. Now, it's also interesting that today the Jews are still looking for the Messiah. They are waiting. That is the hope of the nation of, uh, of Israel today. Uh, and we see that the Messiah has to be the son of David. Now, what's interesting is that in AD 70, when the temple was destroyed by the Romans, all of the genealogies were lost. 
There is not a single Jew alive today that can put a legal claim that they are from the uh, house of David, that they are of the uh, lineage of David. Jesus Christ is the last uh, living Jew that can make an authoritative claim uh, to be from the house of David and to be the Messiah. So once uh, Jesus Christ was born, they took Matthew, copied the genealogies, the gospels were copied and copied and copied, and then all the genealogies were lost. And now we have the official genealogy still uh, in our hands. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was uh, as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Now, Matthew's gospel is going to take us through Joseph's journey uh, of this. We have in Luke's gospel, Mary's account. And, and of course, in Luke's gospel, you remember that there is the annunciation when the angel comes to to Mary and tells her, behold, you have been chosen, highly favored of, uh, of women to be the mother of the Messiah, of the Savior. And, and you remember that she says, behold unto me, the handmaiden of the Lord, do as, uh, as it pleases you. And she submits to uh, becoming the, the mother of uh, Jesus. And, and you remember, though, that the problem was, uh, as here, Matthew also identifies she was betrothed. Now, in betrothal, that means that they were engaged, kind of, kind of like our engagement, but, but it is one step more legal than our engagement. You see, they would have a, a, a betrothal ceremony, and, and now they were legally bound as husband and wife. They don't come together until the actual wedding. They remain in their parents' houses for the wedding, and that betrothal period is one year, roughly about a year. So if you are going to break off a betrothal, you had to get a formal divorce. It was a, a divorce because you had a legally binding uh, betrothal. And so here they are in their betrothal period. And, and you remember the angel comes to Mary and, and, and Mary says yes and submits to this. But, but now she is suddenly uh, with child. And she is betrothed. She is engaged to Joseph. Now, Joseph was a carpenter, the son of a carpenter, and the man that she loved. But, but she submitted and surrendered her life to God. And, and you remember that she departs from, from Nazareth there and heads to her, to her cousin, her her cousin Elizabeth. Uh, now, the angel told her that Elizabeth was with child. Now, you remember that Elizabeth was barren and so well uh, along in years. And, and so she is um, much older than Mary was. But uh, she goes to her cousin's uh, house. And, and you remember when she comes into the presence of Elizabeth, uh, uh, that the baby inside of her, who was John the Baptist, uh, leaps for joy. And Elizabeth prophesies uh, immediately, how is it that the mother of my Lord, 
referencing Jesus uh, who is uh, inside. How is it that the mother of my Lord uh, has seen me fit to come and to uh, visit me? And, and so again, you remember the miraculous story of John the Baptist and uh, Zacharias the priest and the temple and all. And so and she catches her up on all of that and, and Mary shares her experience. And, and now, after three months, the final trimester of Elizabeth, Mary returns back into Nazareth. Now, it's interesting. It says here in verse 18, after his mother, Mary, was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child. Now, found there means that it was observable. That, that it was uh, obvious. Now, it was discovered uh, at, at this point. So when Mary comes back three months uh, pregnant uh, uh, now, she has some explaining to do uh, to Joseph. No doubt those entire three months were just a, a period of, of angst for her. How was she going to go and explain to him what what had happened? Would he believe her? Would he reject her? Would he humiliate her and publicly divorce her and make a spectacle? Now, Mary being pregnant, everybody would look at Joseph, and Joseph's job was to keep her protected up until the time of their wedding. And so if he marries her while she is pregnant, it's an admission of guilt and loss of status and reputation that that you defiled your bride before the, uh, the, the wedding, but Joseph had done nothing wrong. And, and yet, if he divorces her and publicly shames her in order to clear his own reputation, he, he didn't want to hurt Mary at all. Mary came hoping that he would believe her, but we see that, that he was struggling with, with that. And so we see that, that he decides in verse 19, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away in secret. He was just going to privately divorce and, and then try and figure things out after that. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, for what that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Notice what the angel says to him. I think it's insightful. Joseph, son of David. 
He is reminding him of his uh, royal pedigree. But remember that Joseph and, and the rest that are through the, the line of Jeconiah were like, yeah, we're from the house of David, but uh, we're the cursed house. We're the, you know, we're the blackballed ones. We're, uh, we're the, uh, the misfits in the family. So, you know, not really identifying any longer as son of David. But what does the angel say to him? Joseph, son of David validates him, validates his pedigree. How different God sees us than the way that we see ourselves. We're so quick to dismiss ourselves. We're, we're so quick to discount uh, ourselves. And, and we look at our failures, our faults, our brokenness, our, uh, our mistakes in our life. And, but what does God see? God sees the potential. God sees the future. God sees what he created you for. Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take her as your wife. For that which is in her is conceived of the Holy Spirit. You mean she was telling the truth? <laughs> and we see now that she is going to, to bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And so all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. We see that another indicator was given in Isaiah that that the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. You shall call his name Emmanuel, God uh, with us. And so we see the, the fulfillment of the, the scriptures. There are many counterfeit. Satan is the counterfeiter. And so we have counterfeit in birth stories and in many other religions. But once again, we see the, the prophecies and the fulfillment of the prophecies here as well. And then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and, and took to him his wife. And so as soon as Joseph uh, awoke, he, he obeyed. He violated all customs by immediately taking Mary into his home rather than uh, waiting for the, uh, the normal duration of the betrothal. And, and so this way here he was able to... Uh, to provide for her and care for uh, her. And it says in verse 25, and did not know her, that means to be intimate with her. He took her as his wife, but did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, here we see that once again, Matthew explains that Joseph had no marital relations with her until after Jesus was born. They went on to, uh, to have a normal marriage. They had additional children. You'll remember that Joseph has several half-brothers. We see that two of them were instrumental in the early church. We see that James was a, a leader and writes the, the epistle of James and, and also 
Jude as well, has the epistle uh, in the scriptures uh, uh, as well. Uh, and so, uh, traditionally, baby boys were circumcised on the eighth day and, and named. Luke records for us that uh, in the temple on the eighth day, Jesus was circumcised and, uh, and he was officially named. And so Joseph did everything that God had told him to do uh, through the angel, uh, naming the baby as God-given name, Jesus. As we close our study here, it was really in verse 18 that it says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph. The betrothal period was such an exciting time in a young person's life. The arrangement had been made between the families and, and now Joseph was going to have a wife and, and Mary was going to have a husband and now they could start their own uh, family together. It was a, a time of dreaming of the future, of the, of the fun. It was the courtship time of getting to know uh, one another and uh, a time of building that foundation of, uh, of friendship between the two. And, uh, and it was a time where just uh, all things uh, seemed Possible. Such an exciting, hopeful time in a, in a person's life. When we go through seasons and life is in seasons and, and now this next season is going to uh, begin uh, for them. And, and just how exciting that, uh, that time period is. And, and Joseph now, was he concerned that Mary kind of rather quickly departs during their betrothal and is gone for three months. She just is, is gone. Joseph is there in Nazareth and Galilee in his wood shop. And, and then finally, Mary comes back. And I wonder if when he sees her, in her eyes, she can see, he can see that there's something that's not right here. And Mary, she's going to try and explain to, to Joseph <laughs> that, that she is with child, but that she didn't do anything wrong. It, it, it was God. God. God is the one that... that But an angel came and told me, Joseph, that this was going to happen. And, and Joseph is just devastated. Can you imagine how devastated you would be when your fiance comes back pregnant? She has broken the vows, broken your heart. And, and possibly the worst part is she won't be honest with you. Just tell me who the father is. Just be honest. Just, just, just tell me. Just, just don't say God one more time. God. 
And now your whole life that, that, that was on the verge of launching into this glorious next season comes to a fiery crash. How did this happen? And, and, and Joseph struggling. But we see the, in Joseph, we see his, his character. We see the righteousness of Joseph in that even while he is brokenhearted, humiliated now in his culture, in the, in the small town in which they live in, Joseph is going to be a, a laughing stock now, publicly humiliated, but he's not concerned with himself. He could easily expose uh, Mary File for a divorce and, uh, and let everybody know that, that he had done uh, nothing wrong. But it, it says that, uh, that he wanted to put her away privately, which means that it would leave a question mark over his own reputation. There would always be the question mark of if it really wasn't yours, why didn't you do it publicly? Why didn't you clear your name? So you must be involved in this in some way, shape, and form. And, and he was willing to sacrifice his own reputation, even in his pain, his sorrow, his grief, even with the feelings of betrayal, anguish, and despair. The Bible says that hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sin. And we see the love that Joseph had for Mary and his willingness and his desire to, to cover over the sin. In 1 Peter, Peter would write, and above all things, have fervent love one for another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. And Proverbs says, but a prudent man covers shame. We see the incredible grace of, uh, of God in the, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And in this genealogy of all of the men on the face of the earth, he chose Joseph through the lineage of Jokaniah to be the stepfather of Jesus Christ and to be the husband the caretaker, the protector of Mary for as long as he lived. May we also have that same care for others, that sacrificial love that puts others before ourselves. And may we, like Joseph, when, when God said, don't be afraid to take her for uh, your wife. We see that Joseph didn't hesitate to please God even though he knew that everybody would talk about him behind his back. That his reputation was completely shot in his neighborhood and amongst those that he had grown up with and the people that he knew. But he cared more about what God thought than he did what people thought. We are living today in a culture that is becoming more and more
aggressive towards the, the Bible, towards the views uh, of God. And as we stand up and, and represent the truth of God's word, the standards of God's word, the morality of God's word, may we lighten Joseph, not be concerned what others are going to say, but know that it is what God has called us to do, just as he called Joseph to stand beside Mary and to protect her with his own reputation. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. And Lord, thank you for the incredible genealogy of, of broken lives, uh, Lord, that we are never past the point of redemption or being used by you in our lives. And so, Father, would you bless now our day. Bless our lives, Lord. Help us to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.